This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll learn about natural pet support with Dr. Gordon Chang. We'll discuss sexual accelerators and breaks with Carlisle Jansen. We'll find out about the best restaurant patios in Toronto with Brigitte Foisy. Lastly, we'll discover the hottest new sport pickleball with Brian Merritt. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. You know, the occasional nap isn't a bad thing, but according to the American Heart Association, frequent or usual daytime naps by adults may be a sign of poor sleep quality. Regular napping is associated with a 12% higher risk of developing high blood pressure and a 24% high risk of having a stroke compared to never napping. By now, everyone knows that eating more fiber is good for you. According to a new study out of Duke University, it doesn't really matter what kind of fiber you're supplementing with. And those who eat the least amount of fiber benefit the most from fiber supplementation. So pick a fiber and get started. The American government recommends that adults should undertake a minimum of 150 to 300 minutes of moderate physical activity or 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous physical activity per week. It probably comes as no surprise to you, but the American Heart Association confirmed that those who exercise at two to four times those recommended amounts have the lowest risk of mortality resulting from cardiovascular disease and non-cardiovascular diseases. So get out there and get physical. That was your tonic quick shot. I'll be joined by Dr. Gordon Chang in a moment. But first, a little bit of business. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a regular guest on the show. Welcome back, Gordon. How you doing? How's your summer? It's great, Jamie. Thank you for having me on board once again. Yep. So I know there's a small portion of our listeners who are very loyal very kind and we love them a lot but they don't necessarily express themselves so we have to help them ask the questions they can't articulate and that is our pets so we're going to talk about pet health today what do you think that's a good idea one of the things that always struck me is that as consumers of of natural health and natural products 
right? We focus on us, which is not a bad thing. I mean, yeah. we, we have to be self-centered. But, well, you know, one thing I've realized is that the dogs and the cats that live with us live in the same environment that we live in. And they have this, a lot of them have the same issues that we do, right? And some of them have additional issues that most of us don't run into most of the time. Right, okay? yeah. And you were, we were talking earlier on about the fact that you have a dog that barks like, it's a barker, sets him off, she's, anything sets him off. She's very territorial, so when, when other dogs or people she doesn't like walks in front of the house, she goes off. And, you know, yeah, that's, just, that's just her. So they have some sort of anxiety. Then you have dogs that have what's called separational anxiety. And I know that because I, I've heard of people saying, you know, now that we're all back to work, people who have dogs and all of a sudden they have to leave their dogs alone for like six, eight hours and run off to work and then come home, etc. The dogs, you know, start to whine and get anxious when they see their, their masters leaving in the morning for work. Right, and they've never had to experience this before. Yep. Right. So people have asked, well, you know, does Omega Alpha do anything for animals? And I said to them, yeah, we have an entire line that we manufactured and formulated for dogs and cats, right? For the other members of our family. Yep. That's fantastic. And the reason I mentioned this one is because there are a lot of people who take their dogs up even up into the cottage when there's a thunderstorm, the dogs are cowering, and they're all anxious, etc., right? Because mm-hmm. they get frightened, or even fireworks. They take their dog out to see see firework display. Next thing you know, the poor dogs are, are hiding and shaking, etc., right? And a lot of it is because they're not acclimatized. They don't know what it is. So the first thing that happens is what's called a fear response, right? Mm-hmm. So... We manufacture something that will help the dogs relax, and it's a calming formula, right? And the crux of the calming formula, though, is that you got to give it to the dog or the cat prior to the to the event that's going to frighten them. Okay. Okay. So if you know there's a thunderstorm coming, do not wait till the dog is all running in circles, chasing his tail. Right, because if you wait for that, the common product will not work. Okay, because you're already hyper excited. But for right. example, if you know there's going to be fireworks, because you know yeah. it's, if, it's a if holiday, you're going to then you yeah. see the fireworks. Right, about half an hour before the fireworks starts. Right, give them some of this this calming product. All right, it'll help them just chill out, relax. Okay. Right. So if you're taking your dog on a long trip, there are some dogs who get, you know, get anxious because they're sitting too long in the car. You know, give them some of this easy rest product and that will help them adapt or deal with the situation. What kind of herbal products are in? I I know it's a formulation. So so what's it made up of? We have ingredients in there. Such like, uh, I mean, we use a lot of Chinese herbs. Yep. Okay. And the reason we use the Chinese herbs is because they've been around for a long time. They've been around in continuous use for a long time. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, there's a lot of information on them, and they've been studied for a long time, too. So there's a lot of good scientific about what their clinical effects are, right? Unfortunately, there's sometimes not a lot of mechanistic information, right? But we know they work because clinically they've been shown to work, right? And we know they're safe because they've been used a long time, okay? Now, whilst we're not necessarily used on animals, right, but, you know, dogs and cats are all mammals, and we have the same basic biochemistry, 
And because we have the same basic biochemistry, the things that work on us also work on these animals. Okay. I, I'm going to ask a silly question, though. We should not be taking your pet products ourselves, though, should we? you got to adjust the dosage, <laughs> right? Because I'd like to be calm during a thunderstorm, Gordon. You know, sometimes... Yeah, sometimes... You, can, you can use it, but you got to adjust the dosage for it to have effect on you. It's Fair enough. It's just basically adjusting the dosage. Okay. Right? And you have to remember, the products that we make for dogs and cats, are using. we're using the same ingredients that we use for people. So we're not using a tertiary grade or anything like that. It is the same stuff that goes into the human one, goes into the pet one. And the only difference is, in all fairness, is that we adjust the dosage and we adjust the formula using the herbs, which we have researched and found that they're more efficacious when it comes to pets. Got it. Right. So anyway, so some of them, things like jujube, jujuba, Right, which is jujube fruit. It's a, like a red date, mm-hmm. right? And so on. So some of these Albizia julibrisin, for example. I say the words, but for most people, unless you are using a lot of Chinese herbs, you probably wouldn't know this if it got up and smacked you in the head. Yep. You know what I mean? So anyway, but, uh, you know, so this is what we, we do. We formulate and, and use some of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Now, this is for the ones like separation, anxiety, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, there are other type of things that people can use to calm their animal down, especially when we're, there's a lot of people now who are doing sport things with their dogs, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So they're playing frisbee, they're doing agility, you know. There's a whole bunch of different dog sports now, and a lot of people do dog sports. Yep. One of the things that we find with, with dog sports is that sometimes the animals, they know they're in competition. So they're like your Olympic athletes, they're like your weekend athletes. Some of them, especially if they are successful, they tend to be more, uh, how do I say, stressed out. Yeah. Now, when I say stress in a dog, people roll their eyes at me. Come on, it's a dog. What does it know about stress, right? But they feel, they read the stress in the owner, yeah. and that indirectly gets them stressed. Guess what? Your dog is going to be just like you, all stressed out. They want to please their owner, right? So That's they're... right. And the dogs have a way of reading body language, yep. which we don't even think about too much, but they're really good at it, right? Mm-hmm. So that we have another formula that we call endurance stress that helps some of these animals in their stressed out situation and helps them learn Right. The nice thing about some of these things, like these things that calm the animals down, their reaction is what I call a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when you take your dog out to, say, the cottage, right, and if the very first time you took him, you never gave him anything to help with his anxiety and fear, right, and he gets all stressed out with, with a thunderstorm. The next time you take him, as soon as he hears the, the, the thing, the old memories come back and he's all stressed out again, mm-hmm. right? If you give him something that will help with the stress, he learns to chill, right? And once he learns to be chill the very first time, the second time, the third time, by the time three or four times, let's face it, you probably don't even need anything for that anymore because he's learned that this is, there's no reason to be stressed out over it. Makes total sense. Right. Again, they pick up cues from us too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, anyway, but I was, one of the things I was going to go on about is that a lot of these animals have the same issues that we do. So you have animals who have... They have to make sales budgets and grow their audiences? 
<laughs> Fortunately for them, no. <laughs> okay, not exactly the same, but yes, I, I, I'm, I'm joking, obviously, but yeah, yeah, I get it. I can see it in my dog. I understand, you know, the external criteria, like you know, being around new people, for example, or new situations, is going to stress her out. Or, you know, maybe there's a dog that's been aggressive with her and, and she's got to cope with that. So, absolutely. But as I said, one of the things that I say about these behaviors is all learned behaviors. So, if, yeah. if you can nip that learned behavior in the bud or teach them that the behavior is not necessarily an appropriate response. Right. right? And they will learn. You know what I mean? And that's the nice thing about, about dogs. They learn. They want to please. So, they learn. Exactly. Right? But what is going on about, too, is that there's so many different things that, that affect dogs that affect us in mm-hmm. the same way that yep. they affect dogs, right? So things like joint issues, right? Ah, okay. As your dog gets older, the lifetime of a dog is probably about 10 to 15 years, depending on the dog breed, mm-hmm. right? So anywhere within that. But by the time you hit 10 years old, your, your dog is... is would be called an old dog. That would be, what, equivalent to us, what, 70 years? Yes. Because I think one human year is a seven years for a dog. Roughly. It kind roughly, of fluctuates, right? but yes. I think. So if you have a dog that's 10 years old, so roughly that would be a 70-year-old human, right? Mm-hmm. The vast majority of 70-year-old humans have achy knees, yep. achy joints. And they have so, you know, and so there are things that we can use to help your dogs with achy joints. Okay, what's that? You know, most people, the one, the go-to that everybody thinks of is glucosamine and chondroitin. Yeah. Right? But what I tell people, those are the, what's called the structural components of, of your joint. They help with your structural components, meaning that they help rebuild your joints, etc. But a lot of the time, the achiness doesn't get alleviated by the structural components. You've got to give them some anti-inflammatory herbs. Right mm-hmm. now, I know if you go to your vet, the first thing he will do if you have an achy a dog with achy joints, etc., or arthritis, the first thing they do is to give them some anti-inflammatories. Right now, anti-inflammatories are wonderful. Don't get me wrong here; they work quick, right? But the problem with it is that you can't live on them because if you do, you end up with ulcers, etc. Mm. Right now, fortunately, there are herbs which have anti-inflammatory effects. Right, and if you take those, it helps with the joint. And you get a dog sometimes that will use those, and they, you know what? You have like almost like a new dog, meaning that they can run around and jump around, etc. And I've had lots of people remark that once some of these dogs have start using some of our, our joint products, this is what they see, and they see very quickly. So it, you don't have to wait like two or three months for it to kick in. They see it within about a week. Wow. Okay, that's right? great. Yeah. So, and as one more of us have dogs, we all have dogs which are becoming old, older. Yep. Right. So it's something that that's common out there. So it's not something that is brand spanking you. We have time for one last sort of area. I have a dog who's like one of those, you know, the ones that jump up and catch the Frisbee. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, yeah, she's part Aussie. So she has that crazy energy and she jumps and runs. Is there anything there for more active dogs? Yes, definitely. I mean, that you need to do something for their joints, yep. right? So yeah, that's yeah. one of the things. And another thing that you should look at is probiotics for dogs. Oh, okay. Right? Now, a lot of dogs have, have sometimes they have intestinal issues. And probiotics is one of those things that you can use as a preventative, 
to help you have a healthier dog because a lot of um, the natural health people will say to you that, you know, to stay healthy, you've got to have a good digestive tract. And one of the key elements of a good digestive tract or promoting a good digestive tract is a strong, good microbiome, hence probiotics, right? Yep. But a lot of probiotics out there is the, the biggest problem with a lot of probiotics, they're only one type of probiotic in the whole mix. And I always said to people with probiotics, if you're taking probiotics, get a blend. Do not take a single probiotic because if you look into your gut, there's a gazillion probiotics in there, right? Yep. You, you can't take a gazillion probiotics because most of them you still can't get, right? Yep. But take a wide variety of probiotics. Right, and your best product for that is something that has a, a wide variety of probiotics already in there. Fantastic advice! Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Please enjoy the rest of your summer. You too. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. For more information about his business, visit omegaalpha.ca. For great health and wellness interviews and articles, visit tonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on the tonic. The tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal. Proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Carlisle Jansen is a sex therapist and founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality store and workshop center. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself, and you can find her educational videos and TED Talk at carlislejansen.com. She can be contacted at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show, Carlisle. How are you? Hello. I'm well, thanks. Always a pleasure. So today we're asking the age-old question. I'm being facetious here. (laughs) And that is, how is sex like driving a car? Uh (laughs) Aha. Yes, it actually is a lot like driving a car. We've got accelerators and we have brakes. And once we know this, I think it makes understanding our sexual desires and patterns a lot easier. See, I thought you were going to say, because some people have manual, but I'm bump, right? <laughs> and some people have automatic. We could have gone down a whole other avenue. We could have done that. We that could would be have. fun too. Maybe next time. So in that context, I know you're referencing something called a dual control model. Can you explain yes. what that's all about? Yeah. 
Yeah, and so Emily Nagoski has a book called Come As You Are, where she's taken all of the research around women's sexuality and sort of made it easy to understand and follow. And Jansen and Bancroft, not related to me, called it the dual control model in terms of our sexual response from desire to arousal to orgasm and afterwards. And everyone has our unique accelerators. So these are turn-ons things that make us desire sex, and everybody has their own individual breaks, things that are turn-offs, things that make it hard for us to feel desire and pleasure and want to continue or even have sex. And so both of them actually use the same information. They call it the sexual excitation system, and it's all of our five senses. So our thoughts and our feelings and our, you know, taste, smell, touch, hearing, and sight. And so we're constantly scanning for all this information to say what feels safe, what makes me want to go ahead, and what turns me off or what makes me feel unsafe and not want to move ahead. And so we're constantly doing this, but we're unaware of it. And so we've got the excitation system, the accelerators, we have the inhibition system, the brakes. And so if we don't know what those are, it's hard for us to figure out what works for us, to communicate that to a partner. And so it's, it's really helpful to, to better understand what's going on when we're having fun. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about context for a moment, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in isolation, these things might excite you or not excite you, but then there's a whole other layer that goes on top of that, right? Yeah, and so Emily Nagoski often uses the example of tickling, right? If somebody tickles you, but you don't want to be tickled, it's really annoying. Whereas if you're playing a game with someone, you're in the mood, somebody tickles you, it feels really great. Same thing with touch, right? When Mm -hmm. a partner and you're relaxed and you're excited and you're looking for pleasure and they touch you along your arm, it's like, wow, that feels amazing. When you're doing dishes and it's maybe not your partner, you know, some creepy person, right? They're touching your arm. You don't like it. It's the same touch. Context makes a, a huge difference as to whether it's an accelerator or a brake. Yeah, I mean, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but also I would imagine like what we find titillating or abhorrent is also like it's highly mediated by the media, right? I I mean, like, like we're inundated with these images all day through advertisements, through our entertainment, through news stories, all of this kind of I mean, the way I think of what what's arousing or what isn't has been totally changed throughout the course of my life. I would imagine it's the same for everybody else. I mean, if you even think about, you know, who's determined to be sexy, right. you know, like yeah. 60 years ago, it was somebody who, a woman who was voluptuous, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know, then that really changed, I think, in the 80s and the 90s, and it was Twiggy, and it was somebody who was thin. Right. Now things are shifting. People are trying to put more diverse images in the media in terms of not just skinny, white, young, blonde women, right? Mm-hmm. But that somebody who's got more curve to them, somebody who's black or brown or Asian, somebody who's older, somebody who has musculature, whatever, right? Yep. So we're looking for different ways, but those definitely will influence what is sexy to us and what turns us on. And, you know, our past experiences, right? If for somebody sure. kissed us, you know, with a certain odor on their breath and we didn't like it, we're not going to be turned on by that odor. Whereas if we were really turned on by that person, right, we're going to remember that odor and that's going to be a turn on. So our experiences personally, what we saw our parents do, what our peers did, 
you know, sometimes it's what we see in movies. There can be a yeah. turnoff because something happened in a movie. So it all varies, and, and that's why everyone's so unique, right? Exactly. That's why everybody wants something different. If somebody were confused by the term accelerator, can you give some examples for some context? Yeah. So, for example, smells. So a favorite scent, maybe you like vanilla, maybe you like a certain perfume or cologne. A sound, so maybe that's um, a partner breathing deeply or making a moan or talking to us in a certain way. There's also visuals, so obviously imagery, and sometimes it's not naked, right? Like yeah. There are a lot of people who prefer, as they say, their presence wrapped. They find that <laughs> somebody who's wearing a certain kind of outfit, right? It's what you don't see sometimes that is more of a turn-on than what you do see, or a video. And again, it might be explicit, or it might be the suggestion of what's to come or attraction. Sometimes it's with a certain kind of touch. Some of us like a firm pressure and some of us like really gentle. Sometimes we like certain tastes, you know. So whatever it is for you, those are examples of accelerators. And we can think about those in our lives if we think about if I was going to make a sexy scene, what would I want to include in it? Or when I had really great sex, what were the different things going on at that time? Mm -hmm. All right. And what about breaks? So breaks, some people know right off the bat, sure. and sometimes they're a little bit more subtle. But sometimes breaks are there for good reason also, right? Mm -hmm. So one break for a lot of parents is not having a lock on the door and worried that the kids are going to walk in on you. because And that's, that's an appropriate break, yeah. yep. <laughs> right? You don't want your kids walking in on you when you're having sex or a housemate or your parents or whoever. So what I often recommend to clients is, put a lock on your door, right? Yep. They can knock. It'll take them an extra five seconds, but that's okay. But other breaks are sort of more culturally modified. Like, you know, when you're riding the bus and you get a sexy thought, you're not going to start pleasuring yourself or asking the person next to you to have sex, right? right? This is about social norms that it's not okay to do that. So that's, that's good. But sometimes, you know, it's a fear of getting pregnant or getting an STI, or if you have an STI, not wanting to give it to a partner. Sometimes it's a fear that you, what you're doing is quote-unquote wrong because of whatever society has told you. Sometimes it's what if I don't get an erection? What if I don't orgasm? What if I take too long? What if I don't taste good? So all of these kinds of things are breaks. And so what we need to do is recognize what are breaks we can manage, yep. <laughs> like putting a lock on the door, and what are breaks that are you know, maybe I'm afraid I'm not going to get an erection if I have a penis, right? And so that's going to really impact. Okay, so let's have a discussion with my partner. What are things that we can do if I don't have an erection? What are ways that we can both have pleasure? And how do we feel about that so that we can process any emotions and judgments that really don't need to be there. We can have lots of great fun without an erection or without an orgasm, but if we don't talk about it and we don't address it, then sometimes it can kind of, it can take over. Makes sense. What about if you have sort of hypersensitivity to either accelerators or brakes? Sensitivity to accelerators doesn't usually get in the way. We just get aroused really easily. Yeah. Um, now, that can be problematic if it distracts us and or, you know. Or we're on the bus, right? We're on the bus, right. exactly. Where it tends to be a real problem is when we have sensitive breaks. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what it is is that 
you know, the new relationship energy at the beginning of a relationship can sometimes override that a little bit. We get excited about sex. Things are fun. Things are new. And as time goes on, we're tired. You know, maybe we have kids. We're, you know, our partner makes us upset about more things than they used to because we're living together. The breaks get in the way. And even if our, my partner is doing exactly what they used to do two years ago when we met and they're touching me in the same way and kissing me in the same way, my brakes are much more sensitive and they just, they go, it's like a brick, mm-hmm. right? They just, they get pressed way more easily. And sometimes, you know, a vibrator or a lingerie, candles, even a pill like Viagra is not going to do anything because the brakes are so strong. And so sometimes we need to really look at what are those brakes and knowing what those are as well as our accelerators. But it's really important. Most often we talk about accelerators, but we actually, you know, this is what turns me on, this is what's great, but we don't, we forget to talk about the brakes, especially the sensitive ones. And sometimes we can work on them so that they're less sensitive, and sometimes that's just what they are, and so we just have to work around it. Makes sense. We have time for one last quick question, and that is, what is the key with this dual control model? What should we understand? We need to know what our patterns are. We need to pay attention. We need to learn what they are, and we need to then communicate that to a partner if we have them. If we don't know what they are, then our partner's kind of operating in the dark, trying to turn us on. We're operating in the dark, and a lot of women in particular is like, I don't know what turns me on. So paying attention to just those subtleties so that we can build that into pleasure and so that we can ensure sure that when we have sex, it's pleasurable when we want to engage, that we enjoy ourselves rather than enduring or going along. Generally, our partners want to make sure we're having a good time. And so if you both know what the accelerators and brakes are, you can both get there. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. For more information about Carlisle Jansen, visit carlislejansen.com. For great health and wellness interviews and articles, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the best restaurant patios in Toronto on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. 
Success enabler, idea broker, and award-winning marketer at the PR department, Brigitte Foisy has been strategist behind some of Canada and the world's biggest brands for over 30 years. She's also vice president at Chefs Canada, the organization that manages our national culinary teams. What she enjoys most is connecting people and being the bridge to successful, mutually beneficial partnerships. Welcome back to the show, Brigitte. How are you? I'm good. It's been a minute. It has. It has. The last time you were on, we were talking, I think we were talking spring brunches, right? Yeah, sounds about right. But before we start talking about the subject du jour, I cannot be more excited to share that our national culinary team at the Bocuse d'Or won silver medal in Santiago, Chile a couple of weeks ago. So they arrived second just behind the USA. And you need to go see the Instagram of Chefs Canada to see the dishes like truly stunning. We were really proud of their accomplishments and we're looking forward to heading to Lyon in January for the finals. So you got to put that on your agenda and maybe come with us. Oh, I'd love that. Are you are you inviting me? That sounds awesome. It sounds like an invitation. Like, you know, whoever wants to join and, and cheer our, our national culinary team there in Lyon. I mean, wow. what's not to like? Everybody can come. Truthfully, you know, Naomi and I were planning a trip to France. So that may actually be in the cards. I will have to discuss this further with you. There uh, you go. The idea at hand, though, we're most of the way through the summer, but the good weather's probably with us for a few more months. And I thought it would be fun to discuss our favorite patios. Does that make sense? Sounds good. So everybody and their brother who has a street front, you know, has now been able to carve out a little bit of space in front of their restaurant. We're not really talking about that. We're talking about the patios that are made for patios, right? Yeah, yes. We're thankful for the little street side situations that have popped up everywhere. But there's epic patios in Toronto. And it was hard anyway for me to cut this list down to just a few. Okay. So let's try to, I don't know, get our top 10 list going here, Jamie. I'm following you. You want to start in the you want to start in the East End? Not an area that I'm familiar with. So I'd I'd love to hear what you think is going on in the East End. Sure. I need to say that my two best patios, one for brunch, which is usually the 180, has been closed for construction for the longest time. Like, that's my go-to brunch usually. And, like, little popsicle dipped in champagne in the summer on their patio was Ooh. awesome. But they've been closed and no news about the relaunching. And then my second best is usually the Chase, which I love. Yep. And was there a couple of weeks ago. And, unfortunately, there's kind of a skyscraper being built next door. So the conversation's kind of drawn out and it's really, I mean, it's still a beautiful restaurant, but if you're going there, I suggest inside. (laughs) Okay. East End for me, I have to admit, I don't go in the East End very often. So for me, East End, aside from one place on King East, which I think we're going to talk a little later, to me, it's the distillery. So, you know, guac and chips at El Catrin on their beautiful yellow infused patio definitely transports you to to sunny Mexico, or French fair at Cluny, I guess, is also magical and makes you feel like you're in a Parisian garden. So you can't go wrong with either way. I'd say El Catrin, um, they have blankets and fire pits and heated patios, so you can keep that for like later when it gets colder. But those probably are my favorite out east. about you? Well, it's interesting you mentioned the distillery. I know the ownership there very well. I've held outdoor events there. My kids actually worked at a couple of the distillery restaurants, and Naomi and I actually saw 
the Clooney menu before the restaurant opened because we were just sort of brought in to sort of look at it and look at the dishes and everything. So I agree with you. It's a great spot. I wonder, and it's a place I haven't been to in ages because, you know, Toronto, if you're not in the neighborhood, you know, other neighborhoods can be a bit of a schlep. Is Allen's still open on the Danforth? Because you get a great hamburger outside in their patio. Do you know? Not familiar with that place. I mean, I, like I said, East End is not my backyard, really. I'm okay. a West End girl. So. <laughs> All right. So where do you want to go? We've covered the East. Where do you want to go? Uptown. Sure. Is it Uptown? Sure. And my newest favorite patio has been Stock TC at Young near Eglinton. I mean, what is not to love in that place? I love the gourmet grocery store, the already made section where you can have like a slice of pate croute or fresh pasta. The rooftop patio is totally great for small groups, a glass of wine, a cocktail. They have fabulous cocktail lists. So I would say that's my latest kind of fun stops if I'm in that neighborhood. Okay, so usually you and I are on exactly the same page. I've been to Stock once, interestingly, with my connection at the distillery district. We went for dinner, and it's amazing to me because Stock is part of the Taroni group, and they operate two of my favorite patios. The Stock patio is gorgeous. It just It's a beautiful space. I had some of the worst service I've ever experienced in all my years eating in restaurants. So I have to call them out for that. (laughs) Literally, the server slid the pizza onto the table, picked it up with her fingers, put it back on the plate, and didn't realize what the mistake was as we were all looking incredulously at them. And it took them a good 20 minutes to flag down somebody in management to even deal with it. I think you and I both understand that a lot of restaurants are understaffed right now and are scrambling to sort of get good servers and runners. But my view is if you don't have properly prepared workers to serve food, you shouldn't be opening up that many tables. And they got a ton of tables at stock. 100% agree. And and it is a crisis in our food service industry, but I don't feel it should be an excuse. I know a lot of chefs, actually, that deal with it like, you know what, I don't have enough workers. I'm going to close the tables, right? I'm going to yeah, close exactly. the patio. I'm going to, like, I mean, there's not a lot of choices if you don't have staff that don't show up. But I agree. Like, I'd, I'd rather, as a customer, having a no and go somewhere else than, you know, waiting forever or being really poorly served. So. All right. So, but let's go on the positive. So, let's talk about some of your favorites. It can be for anywhere in the city. Where do you want to go next? I would say Austington and King West right yep. now are really impressing me. I think Austin is summer central. I was walking down the street yesterday. You have such a variety there. And I know we've talked about several restaurants before on Austin, but there's literally a patio every five feet from Mindy's Salad, which is like a, you know, $15 thing to more expensive gourmet dishes, obviously. And I think that's a fabulous place to go. Allow at least an hour to find parking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've got some parking yeah. tricks. You've got to park a little farther north and on the side streets if you're going to go down to Austin. Yeah, you, you have to wear walking shoes, definitely. You do. And then I think King West is also really great right now. There's great new places. I've done a couple in the last few weeks, though, like, you know, that salad at Lee. I mean, that's like, I can sit and eat that in my car. Uh, <laughs> but 
the people behind Club 44 on King West have opened a restaurant called Le Pinou right across the street. And it's an adorable little alleyway kind of terrace complete with like the string lights that makes it like ooze with French charm. Mm-hmm. It, it's beautiful. So I would say those are my kind of cool, fun places along with, I would say, Barbara in Yorkville. That's okay. probably places I go often just because, like, it's easy, it's not shishi, but it's great food. And that's where I was talking. The King East location of Reina, I love more than the Yorkville Reina, but Reina and Yorkville is a beautiful, great patio that is almost like a passport to Greece, Spain, and Turkey. It's a showstopper. Yeah, haven't been there, but I like my favorites. Interestingly, even though I didn't like stock, I think Taroni's outdoor spaces are amazing. The one on Price, which is, I guess, Summerhill in Rosedale. Oh, yeah. Uh, Blue and white, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it's always jam-packed there. So it's it's busy, but for the price, the food is excellent and a beautiful space. And also on Queen Street, they have a patio. You may not know that, a Taroni on Queen. And it's also like really, really well done and always busy there. Great food. Yeah. Have you tried the new W Hotel that just opened? No, it's interesting. I don't do a lot of hotel stuff. So I mean, I was I, I was intrigued. So tell me about these hotel patios. I think as Torontonians, we feel like hotels is like so touristy. So I don't feel like we go yeah. to hotels a lot. But really, Toronto has some of the best chefs in Canada, in my opinion, in the kitchens at these hotels. The W Hotel is Keith Pierce, one of my favorites in Toronto. And Weston Arbor Castle has Dan Craig. I mean, if you ever had food by Dan Craig, you're you're a blessed person, in my opinion. There's Alexandra Fiswick at the Drake. I mean, again, good food. Costs at Bichot Hotel is a beautiful patio. Ariette on the top of hotel one hotel at King and Portland kind of area is an incredible mm-hmm. view of the city Epoch at Ritz-Carlton beautiful during even TIFF that's coming up beautiful outdoor patio and then there's one in Yorkville as well yes um, that's incredible I don't know if you knew but Mark McEwen actually opened that place way back when my um, son's girlfriend is uh, one of the servers there so there oh, you go there you go Great for people watching or to be seen, especially if you opt for that $350 shot of tequila. That's like definitely. (laughs) Well, if you want tequila, you got to go back to El Catrin because they have amazing tequila there. True. And the Broadview. A lot of people love the Broadview Hotel in the East End. I have to admit I don't go often, but it's known as one of the best view of the city at sunset. So definitely a place to go just for a, a nice night out. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know. We'll have to have you back sooner next time, right? You'll come back sooner, right? Sounds good. Anytime. Talking food is my thing. Thanks, Brigitte. For more great health and wellness interviews, please visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn all about pickleball on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. 
Join the Big Carrot for their Courtyard Market on Sunday, September 11th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can shop local vendors and enjoy an organic lunch special on the green roof. Samples, book sales, live music, kids face painting, and big deals. It's fun for the whole family. Admission is free. Stop by at 348 Danforth Avenue. The Big Carrot, your one-stop shop for everything health and wellness. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Brian Merritt is a director with Pickleball Ontario, who lives in Thunder Bay. He took up Pickleball several years ago as an enjoyable way to stay active in retirement. He and his wife currently play four to six times a week at a minimum with others at their local club throughout the year. Since joining Pickleball Ontario, he's seen that Thunder Bay is one of many communities experiencing a rapid expansion of players from all ages. Welcome to the show, Brian. How are you? Thanks, Jimmy. I'm great and uh, happy to be here. Yeah, so pickleball is all the rage, and that's why we brought you on the show. I personally have never played, but I think it's the type of thing that would be perfect for our listeners. So why is it that you think that pickleball is so popular? Well, Jamie, uh, and, and I do want to say, don't worry. Resistance is futile. You will be assimilated into pickleball. You just need to get out there. So there's hope for you. I had no idea it was a Borg sport. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> First off, it's a heck of a lot of fun to play. And I think it appeals to uh, everyone that's, you know, a lot of people have played racket sports, uh, tennis, badminton. They've played uh, table tennis. And, it, and it's kind of a little bit of a combination of all of those. But it is exciting and can be as exciting as and competitive as you want to make it. It's a, a game for uh, doubles or singles. The typical play in the recreational level includes uh, group play with a number of people so it's it's somewhat social obviously there's physical benefits and i think combining that all together that means that you can play with mixed ability and and with a mixed skill set of players and still have fun and enjoyable uh, time while you're on the court it's been driven by seniors you know probably some from our snowbirds that, that attend south and and have taken to the popularity there but it's really fast becoming the, at the competitive levels uh, because it's it's an enjoyable spectator sport it's been really enjoyable to watch and it's very fast maybe faster than tennis when it gets to that pro level and and so it's enjoyable from that perspective so people can watch it so for all those things and again it's a game that you can you know seniors can play but they can play in their advanced years my dad's in his 80s and was playing you know even recently wow so i understand the sport was originated somewhere in the states in, in the mid 60s is that right I understand it was 1965, and I'm, I'm a little bit uh, softer on some of the specifics, but I understood there's a couple of friends got together and, and designed a game that could be played by a, a bunch of their family and, and, I think, neighborhood type of thing. So it's a racket sport, obviously. How is it played? Like, Do you need like two, three hours to play it, or is it a quicker game than that? 
No, it is a quicker game. The average game takes probably 11 to 15 minutes, depending on the skill level. If you get to the to the higher skills, some of them are 40 minutes. But uh, how is it played? It's played on a court. Uh, it's kind of a, you think of it either as a huge table tennis court or a smaller uh, tennis court. There's some differences. But it's 20 by 44 feet dimensions. Uh, it's got a net like tennis, but it's a, a little somewhat shorter. It's 34 inches in the center and 36 on the outside. One of the bigger differences is there's a kitchen, what's called a kitchen or a non-volley zone. And inside that is seven feet from either side of the net. And, and in that zone, you must wait until the ball bounces before you can. If you go into the kitchen, you have to wait till the ball bounces before you can hit it. And the reason for that is to encourage longer play and rallies, again, because it makes it more enjoyable as a sport. I think the other thing is there's a two-bounce rule at me where you have to let the ball bounce. When it's served to you, you have to let it bounce before you hit it. And when, it's served, when the return serve is, is made, it has to bounce on, on the serving team side. So, again, that was to encourage longer volleys. Again, more entertainment. Right. Less aces, more back and forth. Right. And so that's, again, what makes it somewhat more, well, I say more, I might be biased, more appealing to watch as a spectator sport than, say, tennis, because you do get longer rallies. It's played with a wiffle ball, and I don't think the good folks at wiffle care for that. But um, <laughs> it's a plastic ball. There's indoor and outdoor balls with some differences in the number of holes and, and how it reacts is softer and harder and that. And it's played with a paddle. I was corrected very quickly by uh, when I bought my first one, and it's a paddle, not a racket. Mm-hmm. And those range in price uh, really from probably twenty dollars to four hundred. So you can you run the gamut, but you can do quite nicely with a you know a forty dollar purchase uh, at Canadian Tire or at some other vendors. You know, to some of the the more professional models that do run into the hundreds, but you know you get performance out of that. It's a format that's for singles or doubles. Typically at the recreational level, it's a lot more popular to play doubles, again, because of the social aspect, and and it is a different game. And I think it's, again, as you get into the older players, it's easier to play in doubles. And and again, it's it's a different strategy, and it it appeals because actually the game, somewhat unlike tennis, I guess, is controlled. One of the major strategies is to get to that kitchen line, not to go into it necessarily until you, you can, but to get up to the net so that you can start to start a slow game, encourage somebody to pop up a ball so that you can then put it away. And if any Anybody uh, watches the pros play, you see how much of an art and skill set there is to get good at the game that way. But again, you can go out day one and have fun with somebody that's experienced and just to be able to rally back and forth. How's the game scored? We don't have love and weird scores like 15, 30, and 40, do we? We don't have weird scores like tennis. What we do have is the score is called at every service, and that's a rule. Yeah. And it's called the serving team, the server typically calls the score, starting with their own score. First, then the opponent's score, and then whether they were the first or second server. Got it. One other thing is that the first serve of the game starts at 0-0-2, so the serving side only gets one serve on the first one. After that, then then each side gets two serves before it it goes to a side out and, and the other team gets to serve. Makes sense. So it's it's more like a ping pong or volleyball model as opposed to tennis with where certain games, one side serves and then the other. What are the health benefits to playing pickleball? You know, there's the obvious anaerobic exercise. The game is quick. Again, promotes movement, lots of back and knee kind of movements to, to get in, in proper form to hit the ball. You know, it, it's physical. And a lot of people think it's for older people so you don't have to move too much. But I can tell you, if you're in the competitive mode, it's very active. So, so you get the anaerobic exercise. You get a lot of development and, and, and ability to maintain that kind of eye, eye hand-eye coordination in, in the shots. And it can be played quickly. So, again, the games are short, but that means you don't have to commit a, a half a day 
to going out and playing. You can do it in an hour or two, and, and often at the rec level, that's what it is. Even at rec level, do you have to have a sort of requisite health level to play? So, for example, I'm really fit, but I have a, a bad Achilles. So would I be able to play the game or not? Absolutely, you can. And, and I referred earlier to, to you know, the mixed abilities. We actually even have the rule books do provide for uh, wheelchair play and, and mixed ability play. I would say at the rec level, you see all ranges. So you can pick a venue. Typically, there's programs in, in any city that might be at, senior, for example, at, at a seniors complex or at the Y. And they'll have play that's also geared to skill levels. And that in and itself is a bit of an, an ability, you know, if you, if you are mobility challenged, then you, you might want to go into some of the lower levels. It does get competitive. And there's also a, a ranking system similar to tennis where you can be evaluated or, or you can kind of guess what your skill level is based on what you're able to do as, as far as the listed skill sets go. Are there any injuries or typical injuries? You know, like we've heard of tennis elbow. Is there like a pickleball knee or a pickleball waist or anything like that? Well, there is there is tennis elbow and pickleball. You're certainly subject to all of those ailments that, that kind of hit with tennis players or racket players. I think the other thing is, again, given the, the, and the demographics changing, but you are prone to knee. There's a lot of quick turning and adjusting, so knee uh, injuries can be common. The other thing is it's, it is played on a hard surface, and sometimes one of the more common injuries can be from people trying to back up to get a ball that's hit back into the court or the back end of the court, and they'll, rather than turn around, they'll back up and sometimes, you know, misstep on their footing, and and, uh, that, that can be a common source of injury. You mentioned before the paddle, not the racket. Is there any other equipment that I would need if I wanted to start playing? A pair of court shoes. Eyewear is recommended simply because uh, the ball, it, while it's not a baseball, it is hard and it does come at some speed if, if somebody uh, hits a ball with, with a lot of pace. So, you know, there has been eye injuries and, and so I, eyewear is recommended, safety wear. So goggles, right? Just some goggles, some sports goggles? Yeah. Like, like I used to play squash, so something along those lines would work? Exactly. Okay. So you've intrigued me, Brian. If I wanted to play pickleball, what would be my first step if I wanted to play in Toronto? Once you, you know, get into uh, maybe go to a local sports store and get, get uh, just the, the basic equipment, again, the paddle mat, I, I think to look for a venue to play, I think you can uh, certainly get onto the Pickleball Ontario website. It's at uh, www.pickleballontario.org uh, and look for places to play. And, and one of the quick ways to do that is to get, you know, look at the, our affiliated clubs one near you and find that out. The second kind of good that is to call, you know, some of the community newspaper or online uh, events pages are helpful because there's a lot of programs at community centers, at the YMCA, and at outdoor venues uh, that, that will list pickleball programs. And generally, that's rec play, although there is competitive, and you can find that, again, on affiliated club sites or our website. But for certainly rec- recreational play, is I would get to a club or a community site and, and look for openings. The other thing I'm going to say is my wife and I bought a, a portable net for 150 bucks, And there's a few people who have done that. Our club, when we started off, we'd go to a tennis club and we'd chalk four more courts on a tennis court, sometimes to the chagrin of the tennis players. <laughs> I um, bet. But, yeah. we, you know, we could strike up a play for 16 players pretty quickly just by, by chalking some courts out and having the same amount of fun than if we were on a professional court. So you would do like any hardcore surface, you could just create your own little uh, court from that, right? Is that what you're saying? Yep. I'm saying, you know, if you had uh, a 40 by 60 uh, chunk of hard stuff, 
you can chalk yourself up lines. You know, some of the other places are, are if there's a hard surface uh, hockey, winter outdoor hockey rink that sure. isn't in use in the summer, it's a, another good bet. So there's lots of different opportunities out there. And, and in fact, there are tournaments that are held in, indoors in, at hockey arenas and they just, you know, line courts on the, on the hard surface. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Have a good day. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Carlisle Jansen, Bridget Foisee, and Brian Merritt. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The July-August issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you know you can always email me at jamie@thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.